special edition of the Mark Groves podcast where I jam on a subject that you're interested in what you want to hear more about and I really wanted to do more of these ones where I get to share some of my own personal insights and thoughts on things and also things that I'm feeling called to share about that are insights that I'm experiencing within my own life in ways that I'm just understanding the world that are new and I have this really great friend named Brian Reeves who has a podcast called Men This Way And he's a brilliant writer, and I remember asking him, how do you write such amazing stuff? Like, it's always so, you know, pushes the envelope. And he said to me, "Uh, whenever I press publish, I'm, I'm always really fearful. And that's how I know that I'm writing from my edge. And I love that. As soon as he told me that, that was about two years ago, maybe even three, I made a rule in my life that everything would be expansive, that I don't want to live in a comfortable Space. I want to be safe and certain about some things, but I certainly also want to be able to constantly be pushing my own envelope and stretching what feels uh, scary for me. And what, you know, it's hard to ask other people to be vulnerable and to live life a certain way if I'm not doing that. And I'm, so I want, you know, the subject that I'm sharing with you today is near and dear to my own heart in that I really wanted to explore our relationship to substances, to addiction, as well as being on the other side of that, you know, wanting to heal and help someone who does have substance issues. So really we're exploring the subject of codependency and both sides of that. And the reason this came up for me too, because I got lots of questions about that and suggestions to talk about codependency a little deeper in this podcast and and just to explore that subject. So about um, six years ago, well, seven months ago, I quit drinking. And the interesting thing about that is it wasn't, you know, it's not like I'm quote unquote an alcoholic or was having really like an unhealthy relationship to alcohol. It's just that I wanted to explore my relationship to alcohol. And You know, the unspoken social agreements that we have about alcohol, like when I get together with you, you know, we should have a drink that if we're catching up, let's go for a beer that after I play soccer. So it's like after a soccer game or after a hockey game, let's have a beer. And I realized that, you know, I'd been feeling called to quit drinking for a long time and I just ignored it. It was a deeper truth that I knew. And I remember about seven years ago, I was at a conference and I was doing a Kundalini class, a meditation, essentially a breathwork meditation. For those people that don't know what Kundalini is like, it's like a extreme form of yoga where you do the same repetitive motion over and over again till you go nuts and it breaks you open. That's essentially a good summary, but let's just think of it as breathwork. And intuitively i just got this hit um there was someone close to me who had a very unhealthy relationship to alcohol and in in my meditation all of a sudden i just got hit with this message like through your sobriety she'll find hers and i remember thinking like i mean sobriety like i mean i could still have a scotch here and there or like a beer here and there i just won't drink in excess you know i remember negotiating with my intuition 
And that intuitively has been coming up for me for years. And, you know, you know, I've done the soberary or whatever people do and, you know, taken four months off here, two months off here. But I always, I think like a lot of things that we negotiate with, I always put a little bit of it, you know, a little box in the back of the closet, so to speak, to say like, I'm going to not do this, but if I really want to, it's back here if I need it. And, you know, my negotiations were always like, I won't drink till that wedding or till that thing. And I was walking through the streets of uh, Manhattan in New York, and I was listening to a book by a guy named Paul Selig, and it's called The Book of Truth. And there was a passage in it that said, um, your body will only be able to uh, alchemize the deepest truth you hold, can hold. And I was like, I have no idea what (laughs) that just said. What? And then it went to further say, what agreements do you live by that you know to be untrue that you still live by? And that as a society we have, you know, we're like, you got to do this kind of job. You got to be this kind of person and to be a mom or to be a guy or to be a woman or to be a, you know, we have all these messages and rules about what it means to live a certain way. And those are agreements that we all unconsciously and sometimes consciously agree to and participate in and are complicit in by living in that life, by being a certain way, not wanting to shake the system, you know, by being a good Catholic, by being a good Christian, whatever it is. And we all know, those that there's a deeper truth that is held below the agreements that we often hold and we know when those are there by the way they feel when we're like it doesn't feel good to think that way about this person or to talk that way about that group or whatever even to live the way I'm living and I think about all the times in my life like I didn't go traveling in Europe before college because I was scared to you know and I didn't do so many things because I was scared of how it would be perceived or what people might think and when I was 27 and ended an engagement, especially with someone who was and is really tremendous as a human being, I really was betraying a system. I felt like I woke up in a story that wasn't mine, but it was, you know, I was responsible for all the choices I made up until then. But I really looked back and was like, how long have I been so disconnected from myself? And With alcohol, when I was walking along listening to this book and it said that, what agreements do you still live by that you know to be untrue? That was the first thing that hit me. It was like alcohol. That you need a drink to be social. And I was like, oh man, now I know this to be true. And he gives this really great example where he says, imagine that, and and this is the example he gives in the book and he explains it quite well. Um, So I'm going to paraphrase it and I might not do it quite as well, but just have some grace with me here. Um, He talks about how you can wake up in your life and you realize that uh, you've taken on the role of being a housewife. And he's not making any judgments about that in the book. He's just talking about that as a possible role. And you wake up and you realize that part of that role was cleaning up after your kid and doing this, this, and this. And he said, and you wake up and realize that that's true and you have given up on or not pursued many things because that wasn't part of the role. And you have in that moment the opportunity to wake up and choose something different, to choose a different life. And when you do that, when you step out of the role, and it's not to say that there aren't some responsibilities and some things that we do in those roles that are necessary, so let's not get lost in the defensiveness of this. Let's just 
ex- explore this. Let's just relax and explore this. And he says, you know, when you stop doing certain things, stop stepping into certain spaces and taking on certain responsibilities of that role, you invite other people to step out of your role, when you their role. When you stop picking up after your 13-year-old son, you invite him to pick up after himself, to step out of the role of messy son or whatever it is. And he said, but you can just as easily go back into the role when you accept part of it again. You know, when you accept whatever that is that brings you back into the role that is not now part of the idea of what you know to be authentically true for you. And he says, it's like being a fish that's swimming in an aquarium and learning that there's an ocean and going back to the aquarium and pretending you don't know about the ocean. And that hit me. Because I was like, wow, that's like pretending I don't know the truth that I've known for about six or seven years. And so I decided, you know, shortly thereafter um, to quit drinking, to say, like, I'm not going to do this till or if slash when I feel like it is completely incongruence to do this again. I want to know what it's like to step out of social agreements to you know, explore what it means to be in a place where the social contract is to drink. And, you know, I realized that the only reason I hadn't quit up until that point was because I was afraid of what other people might think of me or worry about me or, um, you know, how it might affect them or that I'd get made fun of. And I was really worried about that. And the truth is, is that I also recognized that that was the codependency in me, this fear that what other people thought about me was more important than being in alignment and in integrity, and it was more important than what I thought about me. And that was a question that I had my first coach said to me when I was stepping into sharing about relationships, and he said, are you what you love or what loves you? And I was like, what? And he's like, are you what you love, what comes from within, or what loves you? the applause you get. And I was like, wow, so much of my life has been what loves me. And so I use that as the guiding question for all the things I decided. If I shared this, is it what I love or what loves me? If I don't, is it what I love or what loves me? And I think we can simply say, if I loved myself, would I do this? Would I share this? Would I be this? Would I expand this? Would I invite this? Would I accept this? Would I reject this? And it became this really guiding experience. And in knowing that it was also part of this codependent pattern, I was like, well, screw this. I'm not, I'm definitely stepping towards it. So I was an MC of a wedding and a best man and didn't have a drink because normally I would have waited for the wedding, you know, the thing that I was hung up in the closet so that I could do it if, you know, that time came. And then I went on a guy's trip and, you know, I didn't have a drink. And so the two things that I was most worried about, life's two most challenging situations for that, were no problem. I I can feel into that if I wanted to have a drink, it would, I would feel like I was letting myself down and it would feel out of integrity. And so what that has led to, though, is this realization that we turn towards these things, you know, a further realization that I turned towards that thing from a long conditioning You know, when I was young and 16 and I'd get anxious around girls when I liked them and I, you know, didn't really believe I was worthy. 
I was scared. I didn't know if I was going to say the right thing, and this sort of took the edge off, so to speak. And so my relationship to alcohol had begun with this ability to um, numb, to turn away from that discomfort. And then, you know, as a way of coping with my deep pain after a breakup at 19, that's when I started drinking to the level where I you know, wouldn't remember everything that I, you know, and that type of thing where you know that you're not in a good place, you know, you know, my friend called it time traveling. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not great. No one wants to time travel. But in doing that, in that experience, you realize that you turn towards these things, which can be simply a thing like our phone. It can be alcohol, it can be sex, it can be relationships, it can be, um, drugs it can be marijuana right it can be all these different ways that we are about to feel feel the feeling and we move away from that feeling and in um the book when things fall apart which is by i believe pima children she talks about this buddhist technique of the refrain where you feel the thing and then you refrain from turning towards the thing that numbs you from the feeling. And when you refrain, you sit in it. And she talks about this beautiful um, word called Maitri. And Maitri isn't about self-love, because we think self-love is about, of course, doing loving things for yourself, choosing things that are loving for you, having rituals and habits that are good for you. And I think those are really important, because when you choose things that are good for you, that are choices that say, I love me, and you say things that say, I love me, by having conversations that are challenging, all those things. When you do that, you are saying, I love me. And she takes that further, though, and she talks about the principle of Maitri being becoming best friends with yourself. Loving and respecting and being best friends with who you are, with your own inner being. And in that subject of the refrain and, and the Maitri, I really started to pay attention to the feeling that I may have never really sat in or felt this feeling of, of like, you know, when I connect to it, this feeling of just a, a loneliness or just a boredom or discomfort. And I think this is something we can all sort of understand is that we all do have addictions. It can be shopping. It can be right the list, the phone. And so just assess your life. Where do you use something that stimulates dopamine that pulls you away from a feeling that you're not comfortable feeling? And if you experience anxiety or depression and shame and guilt, you know, it's usually from the suppression of a core emotion and you know the idea of depressed to depress down to repress a feeling so being able to look at core feelings core emotions and say which ones do i not allow myself to feel and then when i experience you know these these feelings of anxiety shame guilt uh, depression what do i do to deal with those and you can start to sort of follow the trail back that's from a really wonderful book called um, It's Not Always Depression, um, which is really amazing by Hilary Hendel, I believe, is the author. Anyways, in exploring this relationship to alcohol, though, um, 
I really recognize where codependency actually shows up in a lot of areas of my life. And codependency really being this like, I need something or someone else or someone else's feelings are more important than my own. And saving someone else is more important than saving myself. What I realized in this sort of systemized way of recognizing like an addict or someone who has an addiction of any kind. So we're, let's just all call it out. We all have one of some kind. And if you don't, well done. Um, but we all tend to. And so we use this thing to distract ourselves from a feeling. And there's an ongoing feeling of shame and guilt because in some level we feel we're broken because we can't kick this, you know, thing. We can't get rid of our dependence on something. And then there's the other side of it, which is the, the person who is trying to heal somebody else, who's trying to save somebody else, the person who dates projects, who dates people who are addicts, who, you know, is the empath who dates narcissists, you know? And in that, there's this, in a way, an addiction to another person, to trying to fix them, trying to help them. And so one person who is, quote-unquote, the addict, is constantly trying, someone's always trying to save them, which constantly keeps reinforcing the belief that they need to be saved. And on the other side is the person who's constantly trying to save and the other person won't say won't change for them, you know? And so they're not worth being changed for or being chosen. And what's interesting is in a way the person who's the addict is constantly reminded of their brokenness and the person who is trying to fix them is avoiding the acknowledgement of their own pain through trying to fix somebody else and so they don't want to acknowledge and step towards their own brokenness and what's really you know bringing this all together what's really powerful is the recognition that the healing for anybody is the healing for yourself that if you ever want and we know this from you know what do they do when someone is in deep addiction we have interventions that say hey if you don't change here are the consequences. And in those consequences, in those boundaries, is actually our own healing. And it's also actually the invitation and the modeling of the behavior for the other person to choose themselves and save themselves. And then we have two people who are independent, who have their own lives and their own needs and their own stuff and their own passions and their own purpose and their own ability to self-regulate and cope and sit within a feeling you know when we try to save someone else from a feeling it's a good sign that we don't like sitting in that feeling ourselves and what's sort of uh, expanded or extrapolated from this experience with alcohol for me is the continued exploration of what i use to turn away from any form of boredom or discomfort And it's interesting to explore, like, how easy we can just play whack-a-mole with these things that all of a sudden it's like, oh, my phone. Okay, well, let's captivate that. And what I noticed, too, is as I construct a, you know, because it's normal, you know, I had someone say to me, like, how do you, you know, keep, you know, how do you maintain such a high level of energy and, you know, keep it all together? And I was like, I don't. (laughs) Like, I don't. That's actually how I do life is that. I don't because you can't constantly do that. You know, there's like, for me, it is this acceptance and love and 
space and compassion and grace for me to be a human and to make mistakes, but also recognizing that when I am at my best, I am in a ritual of exercise and a morning ritual of meditation and not on my phone first thing and keeping my word to myself and to other people and I'm paying attention to me and in doing that I feel acknowledged I feel loved I feel chosen when I do that I can show up fully for my relationship I can show up but you know more fully for these podcasts for my instagram videos for my posts my writing becomes clearer more on fire i'm able to be more within myself and i want you to know that it's such an ongoing journey this discovery of self it's such an ongoing journey of the unlayering and the figuring out and the expanding and i invite you to explore what your possible outlets are that pull you away from discomfort, that distract you from really sitting with and learning how to self-soothe, how to adult yourself, how to sit with that child within you that felt neglected, that felt not chosen, not cared for, and then ask yourself, how could I choose me now? How could I show up for me now? What agreements do I know to be untrue that I still live by? That was a big rocker for me. What agreements do I know to be untrue that I still live by? What intuitive hits and messages have I received that I'm not listening to? And what ways of being and roles in life have I been told that I need to live by implicitly or explicitly? Like, Actually, someone saying it, and just through what you observed in your life, your childhood, on media, your religion, whatever it is, what roles was I taught that I live by that are not actually authentic to me? And if you're normal, there's probably a lot of things. You know, there's probably a lot of things. There's probably a lot of ways you've hidden your voice and hidden your dreams and your passions and your purpose. And within that is your authenticity within you know, Gabor Mate has this great, beautiful line that I heard him say at a um, conference I was at where he said that humans have two needs, attachment and the need for attachment to other people and belonging and the need for self-expression and authenticity. But when self-expression and authenticity threaten attachment, attachment wins. So... When being ourselves has the cost of not belonging and feeling like we're chosen, we will trump being ourselves in order to gain belonging and attachment. So think about that. Think about where in your past did you abandon who you are, and it could have been at a very young age, it usually is for everybody, in order to fit in. Where did you do that? And I have to say that that is normal for most people to give up who they are in order to be loved. And when we actually claim that and call that back, we can fully step into this giving birth to who we are, discovering, because we're taught really beautiful things growing up, but we're also taught things that are agreements that are not true that we live by. And we need to separate and discover what is really in congruence with us and what is not. 
And I have to tell you that this journey of not drinking, my friend Traver Boehm, who was on uh, the podcast not that long ago, I was at a bachelor party where I asked him, like, oh, you're not having a drink. And he said, no, I haven't drank in four years. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that, because obviously, intuitively, this was before I drank or stopped drinking. So I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. And he's like, it's the best decision I ever made. And that had a pretty big impact on me. And I have to tell you, this is probably the best decision I've ever made because I get to experience myself fully. I have no, I mean, there's no such thing as a hangover in my life. And I have never felt more powerful and connected to myself. I've, it just feels like a great decision to step out of a social contract. I have to tell you, I'm really proud of myself. And I mean, my body's responded well to it. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very grateful. And I, you know, in hindsight, you know, sort of looking back going like, oh, I wish I had done this seven years ago. I don't. Because every time that we expand and grow is the perfect time and I wouldn't have been ready for it. But I'm really excited and I wanted to share with you my experience of it. And just, um, and it's not about shaming drinking or anything like that, so I don't want that to be misconstrued. Whatever is your jam is your jam. It's just if this does resonate with you in any way about anything that you want to explore your relationship with, and you look back and you go, or you just have an intuitive hit where you're like, oh yeah, that thing is out, is not congruent with who I am now. You know, because there was a time when drinking was congruent with who I was, and it might be again. But this is more about just honoring what I know to be true now. And I'm ready to continue to go to whatever next level that is. And I'm ready to go there with you guys. And I'm really appreciative and grateful for this opportunity. And I hope that this episode resonates with you. So in closing, um, if this, you know, if you could go to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a five-star review and a written review and share this episode, if it really resonates with you, subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you're going through a breakup, as you know, I have the breakup recovery course. It's five weeks where I join you on the journey of getting over your ex, letting go of someone who you might have been holding on to and isn't allowing your heart to reopen. If you want to check out more information on that, just go to bit.ly, so bit.ly slash breakup rebirth, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-R-E-B-I-R-T-H bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. Can't wait to see you there. I'm so grateful to have this platform and to be able to share with you all. And if you have any suggestions for future special episodes, please fire an email with that to info at markgroves, my name, dot TV, and it's Mark with a K. And I can't wait to continue this journey. Thanks so much. <laughs>